this is Tommy Dreamer. This is very, very interesting. Mr. Fretz, I want to say thank you. Because I know you're part of Wrestle Attic Radio, and you do this whole 20 bell salute. Man, has time flew by. And we're coming up on 20 years in April when I won slash lost the ECW title. I also appeared on SmackDown for the first time. You know, I never won a match on SmackDown, by the way. Never. Never won. And uh, I want to say thank you for uh, your 20 bell salute. Because that's pretty cool. And I'm going to let you in on a little 20 year something too. Oh, yeah. That's right. There it is. That's for you. So, Mr. Fritz, Wrestling Attic Radio, this is Tommy Dreamer. And this is the 20 Bell Salute. Especially to my extremely long, lengthy ECW World Heavyweight Championship reign. Thank you for being a fan. Thank you for being a fan of ECW. Thank you. I hope your day is hardcore. I hope your day is extreme. And most importantly, a 20 Bell Salute for 20 great years of professional wrestling. And a huge thank you, a huge shout out goes out to the innovator of violence, the hardcore icon, the former ECW champion, Tommy Dreamer. Thank you, sir, for that lovely intro. Thank you for showing me that belt collection. The video for this will be up on our Patreon page. This is the WCW and ECW portion of the 20 Bell Salute for April 2000. I am starting off, of course, with Extreme Championship Wrestling. And you know, this is where things get interesting. So on April 10th, 2000... Then ECW champion Mike Awesome made an appearance on WCW Nitro, aiding the New Blood by attacking Kevin Nash. Now, you see, yes, he was still the reigning champion. Uh, according to Wikipedia here, uh, Lance Storm alleges that Awesome refused to sign a new contract with ECW until Paul Heyman paid him overdue wages and if you've seen the rise and fall of ecw dvd or if you're a aficionado of ecw like i am you would know that that might not have been possible at that point in time you know ecw was less than a year away from closing its doors permanently and there was just money problems and you know i'll give tommy dreamer some credit there he was a loyalist he was loyal to Paul right up to the very end, and that is that is admirable. That's 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 friendship right there, man. That's 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 more than work loyalty, that is friendship. So due to legal concerns over you know WCW, Awesome did not appear as champion with you know their belt on TV. So there was a compromise reached here a few days later. On April 13th, almost a year to the day that I'm recording this, I'm recording this on the evening of the 12th, 
we had a WCW employee and an ECW champion go up against a WWE contracted employee in Taz. And Taz defeated Mike Awesome for the ECW title on this show. So it was it was a wrestling fan's dream because it was technically a WWE versus WCW match, but it took place in an ECW event. That is just some sort of Twin Peaks fantasy or some kind of, you know, N64 PlayStation booking fantasy. That is so crazy. Now Taz lost this about a week later at CyberSlam 2000, over a week later on April 22nd, hey, the day before my 16th birthday, at CyberSlam. And leading up to this, uh, Taz wrestled on SmackDown, I believe as the ECW champion, against Triple H. And of course, because this was the year 2000 Triple H, he went over, he went over relatively strong here. Although he did get locked in the Taz mission. And then all of a sudden at ringside, we see Tommy Dreamer. He came in with a chair. Uh, he missed Taz, hit Triple H with it. As a result, Triple H ate a pedigree. And uh, really, Tommy never won a match on SmackDown? Well, I don't seem to remember him being on SmackDown very often because he was a Raw guy and then an ECW guy. Uh, you're the man who lived the career, Tommy, so you'll know a lot better than me. <laughs> uh, so this, of course, set up their match at CyberSlam. Cyber Slam 2000. In, in Cyber Slam, it was kind of fascinating because this was a an event that was trying to set up being kind of like an online, like an infancy of the network kind of deal. Although back then it would have been in less than 128p on a 56k modem. It would have looked like, like a screensaver, basically. <laughs> yeah, so we had here that set up their their title match but this event cyber slam 2000 this was something else because you had a veritable who's who and who's that of wrestling in the show itself i mean you had masato tanaka defeating two cold scorpio who was probably a few months removed from his wwe run as flash funk and then scorpio of the job squad Next up here, we had a mixed tag match here between Lance Storm and Don Marie defeating Nova and Jazz when Marie pinned Jazz. Uh, I imagine that Lance Storm super kicked Jazz. Now, I only watched the last couple of matches of this of this show because you know this is about Backlash 2000 as well. So we had Little Guido defeating Super Crazy and Kid Cash in a three-way dance, and anytime. These three, or you add in Tajiri into the mix, got into their three-way dances, or you even had like Mikey Whipwreck get involved in, in one of these. They were always fantastic. I mean, three young, hungry cruiserweight wrestlers just wanting a spot, showing the wrestling world that, hey, we're here, and we're damn good at this. And this was awesome, right? 
C.W. Anderson and Wild Bill Wiles defeated Danny Doring and one of my low-key favorites from ECW, Amish Roadkill. Don't know why. Maybe it was just like a big, burly, soft-spoken Amish Mennonite man as a hardcore wrestler. It reminded me of Festus in a way, just without the whole bell ringing thing. So next up here, we had Steve Carino defeated Dusty Rhodes in a Texas bull rope match. That's right, the Dusty Rhodes, baby. He went to, he went extreme at the, the, uh, near the end of his career. Dusty Rhodes was out of retirement. And I thought, I had a little bit left in me, so I will go extreme, if you will. I'm sorry to anyone who loved Dusty for that terrible in- impression. Uh, Dusty Rhodes, he had a brief stint after uh, leaving WCW. He came in here and he, well, he was targeted by Steve Carino because Carino was all about, you know, kind of being a legend killer in a way. And he would target Dusty. He beat Dusty. And Steve Carino was also embroiled in a feud with another prominent person, well, at least now in wrestling. And that is... Smashing Pumpkins lead singer Billy Corgan. Yeah, I, I remember around this time that Billy Corgan appeared on ECW TV and he hit Steve Carino with a guitar. Never draw a dime. Wait, that's Jeff Jarrett. Never mind. Next up here, Rhino defeating Yoshihiro Tajiri to win the ECW Television Championship. And Rhino would go on to hold this title until the end of ECW some 8 to 10 months later. Rhino was a dominant champion, a dominant force in ECW. He was goring everybody in sight, pile-driving women through tables off the apron because, ouch, right? (laughs) And next up here, we had the aforementioned Tommy Dreamer, Defeating Taz to win the ECW title. And in typical ECW fashion, there was a title defense immediately after with Just Incredible. One half of the Impact players, Lance Storm's former tag team partner and champion. You know, Lance Storm, I believe he was also on his way out of the company at this point in time, having appeared on Nitro some weeks or months after this. And then we had a spot here where Francine and Tommy Dream and Tommy Dreamer reunited. And uh they're yes, the extreme couple has reunited. And we had a spot here. Uh of course Just Incredible goes after her. Uh Tommy makes chase as well. They end up on the apron. And of all things, Just Incredible goes for a pedigree on the apron, and and Joey Styles is like, of all things, Just Incredible is going for a pedigree! And that was, of course, denied. And Tommy lands a Spicoli driver to the outside through a table that was that was set up. You know, a Spicoli driver, the Death Valley driver, uh, the late Louis Spicoli, Tommy's dear friend. Tribute. Back in the ring, Just Incredible hits... That's incredible, his tomb, his spinning tombstone finish, and he kicks out. You hear Jason yell at ringside, Tom, uh, Justin's manager, 
Plan B. And, you know, and we're like, what's Plan B? Tommy Dreamer hits a DDT. Kick out by Just Incredible. Then he's going for another Spicoli driver. And Francine low blows Tommy Dreamer. That's incredible. One, two, three. Plan B is Francine's heel turn. Turning on the man she loved. And helping Just Incredible start a fairly dominant reign as ECW champion. That is some crazy, crazy fantasy booking stuff here. Like, the, the WCW versus ECW thing was crazy enough, but when you had Tommy Dreamer appear on SmackDown, wow. And and for the rest of the month, we had events in Utica, New York, Schenectady, New York, and then uh, ECW TNN taping. I'm not going to go go over them as well. So we had... Steve Carino beating Chili Willy. This is April 27th in Utica. Steve Carino beat Chili Willy. Kid Cash beat Tommy. Johnny Swinger. <laughs> Tommy Dreamer beat Simon Diamond. Doring and Roadkill beat Little Guido and Big Sal, the FBI. ECW champ, just incredible. Successful title defense against Jerry Lynn. Chris Chetty and Nova defeating C.W. Anderson, Wild Bill Wiles. And in the main event, the TV champ Rhino defeats Tajiri. And then in Schenectady, New York. And the only reason why I can pronounce that right while reading this is the television show Archer. You're in Schenectady? Yeah, good stuff. Season 4, Midnight Ron. Check out that episode. So we had H.C. Locke defeating Mad Dog Mike. I don't know who either of those two are. Chili Willie defeated Simon Diamond. Tommy Dreamer defeated Johnny Swinger. That's kind of a rhyme. Imagine if they teamed up. Little Guido beat Kid Cash. Doring and Roadkill defeated Anderson and Wiles. Chris Chetty and Nova defeat the Baldies. Yeah, I might be able to join them soon. God's beating me to it. Another Just Incredible over Jerry Lynn match. And the main event saw Sandman and Tajiri beat Carino and Rhino. And the final event of April for ECW, we have here a TV taping from Poughkeepsie on the 29th. Guido defeats Swinger. Dreamer defeats Diamond. Lance Storm defeats Kid Cash. Chetty and Nova over Anderson and Wiles. During and Roadkill over the Baldies. Just Incredible over Mikey Whipwreck. Jerry Lynn over Scotty Anton. Hey, Scotty Riggs. Ah, one half of the American males. Scott Cavaliero, that one's for you, bro. We have Sandman and Tajiri defeated Steve Carino and Rhino when Tajiri pinned Carino. That's quite the interesting extreme month. The whole championship situation. I thought they got into this with Taz, but... It was not as uh, as bad as this. Like Taz's situation was that he was going to debut a little sooner, but 
okay, now I'm going to come back and do stuff with the title here. And that, that actually put over Mike Awesome. Hmm, kind of funny how that works. Next up here, speaking of Mike Awesome, we have Spring Stampede 2000 WCW from the United Center in Chicago, Illinois on April 16th. It drew 12,556 fans, and I believe that 12,554 of those fans were comped. So your storylines here were a little bit of New Blood and uh, the not New Blood, the Millionaires, the Millionaires Club, that's it. You know, the New Blood was, of course, a villainous group of the youngins, and the Millionaires Club was the heroic group of the veterans kind of funny how that works i figure the roles would be reversed because the veterans are hanging on to their former glory and your young wrestlers are trying to you know get their spot and get over so we had here this event and ew, i'm looking through the results now and mance Again, bro, I'm asking you, how'd you do it? And, uh, by the way, Mance, uh, I know you didn't get to finish your storyline. I think I'm going to watch those events in your honor. Maybe I'll cover them. But that'll be when I get to them in the 20-bell salute. So, maybe stay tuned for that. Shout out to you, Mance. So, we had here, Ric Flair and Lex Luger defeated the Harris Brothers and the Mamelukes. This was a triple threat tag tournament match for the vacant tag team championship. Oh man, Ric Flair and the total package. You know, that could have been a force to be reckoned with in like the late 80s. Next up here we had... Oh gosh. Oh no. No no. Man cow. You know, that's right. Mancow in the morning. Matthew Eric Mancow Mueller. A American radio and television personality and former child model. You know, a shock jock. Kind of like a Howard Stern type. One of those controversy types. You know, he used to have the... Or maybe still has. I don't know because I don't get it in Canada. Mancow's Morning Madhouse. So we had Mancow with Al Roker Jr., Turd the Bartender, and Freak, a personality, or all of them are personalities on this show, defeated Jimmy Hurt. Yeah, it's one of those matches. No. No. So we had... Oh. This wasn't the only title that had been vacated. This was... This was after the reboot Nitro. So all the titles are held up, and some of them here are being decided tonight. We had Scott Steiner defeating The Wall, brother, in a quarterfinal match for the U.S. title. And then Mike Awesome, the aforementioned Mike Awesome, the former ECW champion, defeating Ernest the Cat Miller in a quarterfinal match for the U.S. title. Shane Douglas and Buff Bagwell be beat Harlem Heat 2000, of course, being Stevie Ray and Ahmed Johnson in a 
in a semifinal match for the Tag Team Championship. Sting defeats Booker T for the U.S. title quarterfinal match. And in the other U.S. title quarterfinal match, Vampiro beats Billy Kidman. And in a match for the vacant hardcore championship that nobody asked for, Oh, excuse me. I think that's my WCW coming back up. Terry Funk defeats Norman Smiley to win the title. I guess this time he showed up because his horse was not sick. And then, in the semifinal match for the U.S. title, Scott Steiner defeats Mike Awesome by submission, and Sting defeats Vampiro by submission. And in a six-way match for the vacant Cruiserweight Championship, the late Chris Candido, God rest his soul, defeats the artist, formerly known as Prince Iakea, Juventud Guerrera, Shannon Moore with Shane Helms, uh, representing Three Count, Lash LaRue, and Crowbar with Daphne. So Candido wins the Cruiserweight title here, and I think that was his only singles title in WCW. He wasn't long for that world, unfortunately. Probably due to Tammy, Sonny. Ah, no. Yikes. And in the tournament final, to determine the new tag team champions, Shane Douglas and Buff Bagwell defeated Ric Flair and Lex Luger. And in the tournament final match for the vacant U.S. title, we had Scott Steiner defeating Sting by submission to win the title. And we had here a match for the vacant WCW world title. Unlike the rest of these, there was... Oh, there was a World Heavyweight Championship tournament as I scroll down on um, Wikipedia here. So your, qual your qualification matches that took place on TV were Diamond Dallas Page over Lex Luger. Uh, Sid and Sting have a no contest. DDP defeats Sting. Jeff Jarrett defeats Kurt Henning. And in the final match for the tournament final to determine the new WCW World Heavyweight Championship, Jeff Jarrett defeats DDP. Choke on that. Slap knots. I'm not playing his team. Lee. Man, this was ugly. It was an ugly event. I probably watched it at some point in time. Or I watched... I was watching Nitro. Yes, I was actually watching the show around uh, around this time. And oh boy, is it ever ugly. So on the next portion of the 20 Bell Salute, I will be covering WWE Backlash 2000. Stay tuned, peeps. And welcome to Backlash 2000 here on the 20 Bell Salute. Fret's back here with you, and I'm going to waste no time here. So, Backlash 2000 took place in the MCI Center in Washington, D.C. on April 30th, 2000 with an attendance of 19,000. 101. 
this was of course built around Rock versus Triple H and the return of Stone Cold Steve Austin and many other highlight matches. So, without further ado, here we go. Starting off here, Deborah comes to the ring to be the special guest ring announcer for the opening match, and oh my gosh, she was terrible. Jerry has an audible orgasm, like, <laughs> puppies! And it says, oh, these puppies are pointers. Oh, I get it, a nipple joke. Oh, gosh, Jerry. Huh. So we start off here with the Tag Team Championship. It's like, and at first of the ring, I went by Zane, did Generation X, wrote like an X-Pack, and then Edge and Christian. So it's Edge and Christian versus D-Generation X's Road Dog, Jesse James, and X-Pack. And Run DMC's DX. Oh... I was tempted to put that in the opening of the show, but because I didn't want my ears to bleed, I went with the Dudley Boys, who are on this show. So, we have a promo road dog uh, kind of pokes fun at Deborah here. It's like, no disrespect for you. You do fine mic work. Then, you know, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and then it's like, and then he decides to spell it out for us. S. A W. Wait a minute. Nope. Never mind. Nope. Wrong. Wrong spelling it out. Wrong spelling it out. D O double G. And despite the fact that they're kind of heels, they're still over and they still get the baby face thing. So we see a full circle moment here. You know, Edge and Road Dog. Twenty years later, they're both in the company. Although Road Dog is an agent and Edge is wrestling again, having just. Uh, faced Randy Orton in a last man standing match. So right away we have X-Pac sucks chance. For some reason, Jerry is talking about Hillary Clinton and they're going over the new attitude of Edge and Christian. They're kind of being a little bit more, for lack of better term, edgy or heelish or kind of cocky. And by this time next month, by the time we get to Judgment Day, uh, they're full-blown cocky. You know, for the benefit of those with flash photography kind of heels and oh i can't wait to talk about the team Eck, you know edge christian and kurt kind of era so dx takes control hits a hot shot in the lariat there's a blind tag and oh no edge is denied because the ref didn't see the tag because of dx shenanigans and uh xbox hits the brock buster and uh jerry's like yeah he's riding bareback and i'm not touching that see a nice double reverse ddt by by ENC, there's a spear by Edge. X-Pac nails Tori, not in that way, although that was probably after the show. An X-Factor, Christian rings his bell in kind of a Healy kind of win here, and Edge and Christian retain. It isn't still tag team champ. I'm not doing Deborah anymore. My goodness. Then we see a limo arrive, and it's The Rock. The crowd goes wild. Coming up next is oh man. If there's one match you want to revisit from this show, well, there's actually a couple, but this match, my goodness, did these two just 
knock it out of the park and deliver. It's the light heavyweight championship with Scotty Too Holly, Scotty Too Hottie, take two, challenging champion Dean Malenko. Now these two had already traded the title back and forth on Raw and SmackDown. Uh, Grandmaster Sexay was temporarily. Uh, he was out with an injury or maybe a wellness policy violation or something. So these two were feuding over the title. Scotty defeated him on a on Raw or SmackDown with a nice top rope DDT, like a jumping DDT thing, kind of like what Enzo used to do. And Dean Malenko won it back, albeit kind of cheaply. So just get in here. Uh, Scotty Tuhardy comes out does his dance, gets lit, dances with Lillian in the ring a little bit. They bust a move. They have a nice little moment. And then just the heat on Dean Malenko. I mean, you'd think he kicked someone's dog. They were booing him good. I mean, this is DC. This is kind of a marquee crowd. But my goodness, like the Iceman Dean Malenko, lest we forget about him in WCW and that genius feud that he had with Chris Jericho. And some banger matches he had with like Hooventud and Eddie and Benoit and uh, and X-Pac. And of course we have this whole Dean cheats to win the title back on SmackDown. He is a no-nonsense guy. We start off here. Dean hits a nice basement dropkick. There's more Clinton. T- there's such there's more Clinton talk during this show. Like, I'm gonna do something Hillary Clinton. This is around the time. Was Bill ousted? Was he impeached yet? I know the Monica Lewinsky scandal was probably done. And I mean, the election was later this year and they got George Bush for two terms. But what's with the Clinton talk? So, of course, we have here Dean Malenko working the leg. Scotty too hot. He is over like Grover. Scotty goes to the rope. Hits a great superplex. I'm just writing down here. This is a great match. There is a... There is a backslide here denied. There's a nice back suplex. And Scotty tried kind of punching Malenko on the way down, but Malenko just drops him right on his head with the suplex. We see the Bulldog, and we see W-O-R-M. Boom. Nails him. That is going to be very loud, I'm sorry. And we see Dave Malenko kind of get out of the ring. Hits a tiger bomb. EC dub. EC dub. A power slam with that great leg hook that Malenko used to do with the power slam where he like hooked his leg into his leg and the other arm. And then they're going for like a, a top rope spot. Like Scotty's going to go for a superplex, but D Malenko reverses that and hits this really super tight. Super snug, top rope DDT for the win. Now, there was a slim margin of error in this because, well, it appeared that Dean was going to be the one that was going to get superplexed. But then he grabbed Scotty and kind of went a little forward and then back into the top rope DDT, kind of like if he was going to try and do the Pepsi plunge. Uh, But he nailed it here and... The heat on him after he won this match. This was fantastic. This was better than how I described it. Go go seek it out. Because these two had great chemistry. Scotty was 
a better wrestler than people gave him credit for. And then we see Shane in the back being the referee and like, you know, all hands on deck for the main event because this is the McMahon's, the McMahon Helmsley regime against The Rock. And turn the page to my next one. And we have the Boss Man and Bull Buchanan versus the Acolytes, the APA. Now, this is just a slobber knocker. You know, they had a little barroom brawl before this. And these are four hoss, stiff, bully kind of workers, especially a guy like Bradshaw. Uh, remember when Bradshaw was cool? Pepperidge Farm remembers. And so does me. You know, Haas match. And we had the rookie, Bull Buchanan, who is an agile, six foot eight man who can just do cruiserweighty kind of moves. I apologize for my notification sound right there. <laughs> Thank you, Gmail. You made the podcast again. So we see a nice corner clothesline. And then JR is just gabbing on about. I think Bull Buchanan's are oh, heroes of offensive light. I don't give a shit about any wrestler's athletic background. Look, Kevin Nash is a basketball player from the university. You That does nothing to help put him over. I mean, if I hear things like, you know, Roman Reigns was in the CFL for a spell, I don't care. This isn't insert sport here that you're in. This is wrestling. And yeah, having an athletic background, especially something like football, will help you help you in wrestling. Just about any big name we can think of. You know, The Rock was in the University of Miami, and he had a spell in the CFL, Canadian Football League as well. Uh, Goldberg draws. Uh, Steve, Steve played football in high school, I think. Steve Austin. But it's like, you know, being Canadian... That that'd be like saying, you know, Bobby Roode went to the University of Waterloo and played uh, hockey there, and oh, Val Venus went to Wilfrid Laurier, and this person went to Conestoga. Yeah, that, that'd be like, like oh, Mister Fretz, he went to Emmanuel Bible College and played ball hockey on Monday nights. <laughs> it it's like that, right? So Bradshaw is working stiff. Uh, there's a knight stick get involved here. There is a wicked super axe kick by Bull Buchanan on, I think, Farouk for the win. And he was just like, his legs were just swinging as he came off the air with that with that super axe kick. Just knocked their head off. And we see the Hardy Boys promo because they're involved in a hardcore title six-pack extraordinaire something match and they're like you know oh, i'm not holding back if it comes down to me if it comes down to you and me i'm not holding nothing back matt and matt and jeff like you know fighting brothers and then we go to fighting cousins with champion crash holly and cousin bob and it's something something with crash and then bob just gives him a slap in the head because bob <laughs> i love i love hardcore holly so we have the hardcore invitational with Champion Crash being challenged by Bob Hardcore Holly, the Hardy Boys, Perry Saturn, and Taz. And in this match, only Crash can be pinned to for the title to change hands. Not like the Hardcore title by the Royal at WrestleMania 2000. And it's something like he can only be crashed or Crash can pin 
it, it it's weird. It's a really weird match. So they're all fighting over who would who would pin Crash because well, say if Saturn tried to pin Taz, well, nothing would happen. And uh, <clears throat> sorry, the the Hollies still have the same music. You didn't get you know Bob Holly is like, how do you like me now? Quite yet. And they both still weigh at allegedly over 400 pounds, crash with that hilarious doctor scale. Uh, and right away we see a T-bone by Perry Saturn. Uh, Bob Holly, it looks like he hit a jackknife on, on crash. That was a great powerbomb. So then they start going down the aisle and climb the, the, the classic backlash set with those swinging hook blade thingies. Look it up. And if you've, if you've played... Uh, you know, No Mercy on 64, and you have the Backlash stage, you unlocked it in SmackDown Mall, you'll know what I mean. So, Crash and Matt start climbing the set. Matt flies off of it with some holy shit chants ringing, ringing in it. Then Saturn just drops Crash on one of those swingingy bladey things. I think one of them break. Jeff hits, starts swinging off of one of them because they're like swinging blades, as I said before. Jeff swings off one, hits a nice Hearn Conrana, and then back in the ring, uh, the Hardys hit the event Omega. Taz hits a, hits him with a lid. Saturn locks in a nice bow and arrow. Everything breaks out into a schmoz. Uh, they break out an extension. Someone gets an extension. I think Bob gets like an extension cord. Bob hits a street sign, and when they see the extension cord, uh, Jerry's like, you know, hey, don't plug it in. That's funny. Excuse me. So, the brothers, the Hardy brothers, start fighting. Uh, Taz has like a Taz mission with the cord. Huh, he's getting wired. Holly hits a nice superplex. Uh, Perry hits an awesome brainbuster, his No Mercy finisher. Uh, Bob hits the Falcon Arrow on the chair, and I do not want to tell you what the name of his finisher initially was because it is horribly offensive. Out comes the ladder, and pop goes the weasel. I mean, the crowd. We see a swanton. We see, you know, a whole a Taz mission again. And with a whole big whole schmoz here going on, Crash manages to pin Taz. And the music for, for Crash was almost instantaneous. It was almost too soon. Or it was like, you know, the Jim Johnson or friggin' Beavertooth guy, whatever his name is, has had his finger on the pulse, like, boom, right away, ready to go, because, boom, we gotta go, we gotta go. So, Shane has an interview, he's the referee, he promises to be impartial. Oh, shit, excuse me. Uh, next off, we have here, The Big Show versus Kurt Angle. And Big Show's like, I'm gonna go Hollywood, which is kind of ironic, because last week... We saw the launch of the Big Show show, and I watched all eight episodes because I have no life and no self-respect. wasn't good. I mean, it was very full house, very family-friendly comedy. I mean, for kids, okay. Just, I didn't feel it, man. I mean, Big Show's got acting chops. He's fun. I mean, and they were, you know, bringing up his role in The Water Boy and... And then you know, Big Kurt Angle's like, oh, I'm going to guarantee success by having the best tag team partner ever, The Big Show. So then The Big Show starts coming out to the ring in 
outlandish attire, like he's coming out, I don't know, with a Scottish hat, like, you know, trying to be fat bastard. I'm trying to have a wee bit of fun. Uh, then he comes out dressed as something else. Uh, Showboski. He comes out as Val Venus of the Big Showboski. Hello, ladies. It was kind of funny hearing that come out of Big Show's big barely voice. And then there's some bad comedy. Big Show comes out to the ring to Real American. He is the showster. And JR with a great line. All for the love of Hulk. So we see boot, leg, drop, kick out. And Big Show doing a pretty good impression of Hulk Hogan, I have to admit. So we see a chop and a choke slam. And then we hear the terrible crap, like rap aggression theme by the Big Show. It's like, it has like, you know, the, when it's the Big Show, and like the piano, it sounds like I don't know who it was, maybe Dr. Dre or Ice Cube, something. That that CD, that aggression CD, was crap. It's the same one that had Run DMC DX, and I think it might have actually had Cypress Hill doing the Thug Superstar for Taz, which wasn't bad. I tolerate very little rap. So next up here we have the Dudley Boys versus TNA. Oh, and. And Test and Albert. So this was... Oh, Trish is playing mind games. Being the voluptuous blonde playing mind games on the chubby, awkward kid. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I've been there. So they're going to get wood for Trish. Yeah, okay. And, you know, Trish basically saying that tables make her wet. Trish kisses Baba... And there's like the, the he, and Bubba has an orgasmic trance on his face. Dude! TMI! Keep it in your pants. My goodness, at least rub one out before you go to the ring, Bubba. Jeez. And it's like, will Trish get wood tonight? Ron Howard voice. She does. So, oh yeah, there's a whole bunch of ejaculate jokes in this match and orgasmic trance jokes. Dudley Boy and his Bubba trance and his, he's, well, the, he's dumbfounded. He's like, he's trance. I mean, I met Trish. She is stunning. Gorgeous. Like, when I met her and Lita, uh, uh, wow. They are two of the most gorgeous ladies I've ever met and two of the sweetest ever. So nice. Then we see Billy Corgan at ringside. EC Duck. Wait a minute. Was he in ECW at this point in time? I think he was. Uh, NWA. NWA. So she's cast a spell on Baba. The chase is and the chase is on. And there is the was up headbutt, or as Jr. affectionately called it, you know, the Dudley birth control. Yeah. There's a baldo bomb. There's an elbow drop. Test misses. Uh, <clears throat> let me see. There is a distraction spot with with Trish trying to you know show off her assets. It's big boot on test, and there it is. Uh, they win. Test and Albert win just like that. And then finally, Baba snaps out of it, gets the table. She's getting wood. 
Oh, she's kissing Bubba. There's tongue. There's tonsil hockey. Super bomb. And then, you know, Bubba's got a little bit of blood on his face. Uh, and then he gets that big, sick smile. Like he has like that euphoric, orgasmic, whatever, trance. And then he gets that, just that sick smile on his face he gets after he puts the ladies through tables. It's fantastic. And this next match... Oh, this made me laugh. This made me smile. European Championship, Eddie Guerrero versus Ese Rios. And it was like, Eddie was coming to the ring in a 57 Chevy. He was he was backstage and he's like, Eddie, you're late for your match. Oh, the mama. I just came from the promise with my mamacita. And he's, of course, he is accompanied by China. Uh, Eddie had just gotten his GED which in Canadian terms, I believe it's just his high school diploma, his grade 12. And now Eddie, because he didn't finish high school, a man in his 20s or his 30s, no, he was in his 30s by this point, going to the prom. That was funny. That was so cute. It's like, oh, no, 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 I got to go to the prom, essay. And I think this is where the coming to the ring in a car, uh, kind of gimmick came from here you know i didn't see him come to the do the whole thing with the car until he was tagging with travel a couple of years after this and eddie is getting all the, he's getting love he's getting all the chance people are loving eddie <laughs> there there was times where i loved him there was times where i hated him but as i look back on his life oh man th this is just so so funny to look back on uh, God rest both of them. Eddie and China both gone. Just so tragic. Uh, and China tosses the bouquet into the crowd, and the person that grabbed that probably got married on the spot. And then Jr. says, "You know, oh, he Eddie has sent Hispanic relations back ten years." Okay, that was kind of funny. So we see, you know, like China can't resist the Latino heat. Uh, and then you know, Lita. They have a mixed tag match with S.A. Rios and Lita. Uh, Moonsaulted Eddie. Uh, Lita gets super bummed as a result after this because they walk out on her. Uh, and then Lita, and Lita just is just getting tossed around by China. There is a big moonsault to the outside by S.A. A wicked super arm drag. And I think S.A. Yeah, hit that move. Pardon me. And we see... The top rope special, the S.A. Rios moonsault, get reversed with moonsault to the knees. And we see a really interesting move by Eddie Guerrero here that i only seen him nailed a couple of times. And this was my finisher in SmackDown 2 for the longest time. It was uh, something called the Cross Neckbreaker where he picked up uh, S.A. in kind of the gory bomb special, kind of in the Dominator, and then spun him around a bit and then caught him with a neck breaker like an airplane spin neck breaker for the win after the match uh Le uh not Lita. <sighs> china is stripped down to her bra and panties and eddie's just like damn oh mama sita something something he's just looking at him like looking at her like china's just like oh i'm embarrassed but not really because she liked to show it off she had a nice body my goodness uh and then JR's like, you know, they went from high school to thigh school. 
okay, Jerry, I'll give you that one. That was funny. That was funny. So they're backstage with the uh, Helmsley-McMahon regime, the big plate of veggies and hummus. Blah, blah, blah. Basically, I'm going to retain the title, Stephanie. Uh, Next up here, oh boy. Intercontinental Champion Chris Benoit defending against Chris Jericho. Oh man, we're in this feud now. This is prime Attitude Era Intercontinental Wrestling feuds. This is fantastic. It was around this time because Y2J was Jericho was calling himself Y2J. I thought I'd say Y2 James for myself, but that never stuck. Uh and there Jericho's like, you know, t- calling Chris Benoit Mr. Roboto and you know there's a line in here by JR that confused me because I never watched the show. It's like, you know, Vince McMahon is Tony Soprano. It's like, welcome to DC is Jericho. And like Chris Benoit, Mr. Roboto is expressionless, emotionless. And, you know, Washington DC is full of robots and politicians. And now I'm going to beat the hell out of a politician, which gets a pop. That's funny. And this is a good, quick technical boom boom match we see the lion's salt benoit gets the knees up we see jericho's awesome double power bomb there's a crossface reversal the foot on the rope walls of jericho he and benoit reaches the ropes we see a belt shot by by benoit and a kick out there's a flying head there's a flying headbutt by benoit but because the belt was still on the ground by jericho Jericho had had the belt in his hand and he clocked Benoit with it while coming down on the flying headbutt. Ouch. And, oh, Jericho's disqualified? Boo earns. And finally, the main event. The Rock challenging Triple H for the WWE title. This is just, I can't go every spot. This match went 40 minutes. Like, I didn't watch the whole thing at all. This was just all leading up to eagerly anticipating the arrival of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Ah, Stone Cold hasn't arrived at the arena yet. That means he's backstage waiting in his truck. So this is all about, you know, Linda McMahon's like, oh, Vince is going to have, you know, Triple H is going to have Vince in his corner. And Linda's like, okay, I'll leave in the playing field. The man that's going to be in... The Rock's corner is Stone Cold Steve Austin. And then Stone Cold's playing a little bit of mind games. Like he has, he fills up a locker room with a bunch of empty beer cans. And then finally, uh, they're all in the ring. And Steve is backstage, is outside with a crane. And he drops a big plank on the DX Express, which is just one of the most infamous steve austin wrecking stuff spots in history uh this is a long ass match there is a number one contendership here where leading up to it where the rock has to defeat the boss man and booby cannon in a cage uh steel cage handicap match the rock wins he gets his title shot and then vince vince is in triple h's corner shane's the referee austin's in the other corner but of course austin is fashionably late through throughout the match and, you know, as I said with the mind games, Austin put out a, a cutout of him in the beer cans. Uh, 
And Stone Cold is going to be on the side I've always been on, and that is my own. So maybe he's not on the rock side, is he? Hmm? DTA, don't trust anybody. Or DTA, don't trust Austin. So throughout near the end of the match here, you see Vince comes from behind to hit the rock. There's a low blow. There's a pedigree. There is no referee. So out come the Stooges, Patterson and Briscoe. Uh, the crowd is getting really impatient here. They're all going after a double, triple team on the rock. And then finally, the glass shatters and the crowd explodes. I mean, I've heard a pop, an Austin pop, and the only one I think that could parallel that is WrestleMania 32. That was a loud crowd. Austin, he's not bumping. He's not even... I don't think he was even landing a stunner because... Like, doing the the sit-down from the stunner would really jar the neck. Because uh, I remember having, you know, my, my, my back my back surgery. I couldn't do stuff like that for a while. So, we see Austin hit everyone with a chair shot. Unprotected. All get brained right in the head. Like, especially, like, Bri- Briscoe. Dude, that that one was vicious. Uh, Pat- Patterson got his... Got his hands up a little bit. McMahon gets a chair. Rock, uh, nope. Triple H gets a chair. And then finally we see the people's elbow. One, the people's elbow. And Earl Hebner runs out to the ring to make the three count with Linda McMahon accompanying him. Uh, Stephanie gets in her mom's face being like, you know, what the hell are you doing here? Linda just shoves her down. Just that, that that was funny. And then, you know, in comes Earl Hebner to count the three count for The Rock, who is the new WWE champion and goes on to defend it against Triple H in a Iron Man match at Judgment Day the following month. And there was a very special return on that month as well. But We'll get to it when I get to it. Now, stay tuned for the pop culture of the 20 Bell Salute, April 2000. Stay tuned. Welcome to the pop culture section of the 20 Bell Salute. I am Mr. Fretz at the Legendary JF. This is April 2000. Now, I usually start the podcast with this portion of the show but because Tommy Dreamer my new friend (laughs) did a great cameo for the ECW WCW section of the show I'm going to end the 20 Bell Salute with the movies the TV the video games and the music from April 2000 and yeah I will have Backlash already reviewed at this point in time, so I'm going to shake things up a little bit. So here are the movies. And oh boy, I got some doozies to talk about this month. And before I get into the movies, April 2000. Well, what was I doing in my life? Still not much of anything. Uh, Still the same old boring frets in high school. uh, Hanging out with my friends. 
However, April 23rd is my birthday. And I celebrated my 16th birthday that year, my sweet 16. And what did I do? Not much of anything. I probably hung out with a friend or two, rented a movie, had some pizza, maybe maybe went to my youth group. I can't remember. Geez, I can barely remember what I did for my birthday last year, let alone 20 years ago. And there goes my last sip of coffee, and I'm ready to go. So, starting off with the movies. Oh. Oh, oh boy. Oh, here we go. Ready to Rumble. Starring David Arquette, Oliver Platt, Scott Kahn, and... Martin Landau, as well as members of the WCW roster, Joe Pantoliano, and many more. Of course, this was the infamous movie that got David Arquette a reign as WCW champion. Uh, It was kind of funny seeing Perry Saturn in this movie, and by the time this came to theaters, Perry Saturn was in the WWE. So, these lifelong friends and sewage workers, David Arquette, you know, playing Gordy Boggs, and Scott Kahn playing uh, Sean Dawkins, they're lifelong wrestling fans, sewage truck workers, and when Monday Nitro comes to their home state of Wyoming, they go to watch their favorite wrestler, fictitious WCW champion Jimmy King, Oliver Platt, have a title defense against the hated heel Diamond Dallas Page. Yeah, remember when DDP had the Jersey Triad with uh, Canyon and Bam Bam Bigelow? I love that stable. They were awesome. God rest those men's souls. My goodness. That's a try. Canyon, that's a tragedy, man. I mean, he lived his life as a, I think he was closeted homosexual. Most of his life, he didn't come out to many or come out. I, I don't know what his deal what his deal was, but it just it killed him, and it's he ended his life, and it's so sad. I love who better than Canyon. I loved him. He was amazing. Now, Bam Bam Bigelow was well, you know, one of the first guys I remember watching back in the day. Like this guy has tattoos on his head. How did that's excruciating. I cannot imagine. Anyways, so Gordy and Sean witness a screwjob finish by Diamond Dallas Page and fictitious WCW CEO Titus Sinclair, you know, played by Joe Pantoliano. And there is things I, I, I thought I heard that were alleged. I think it was on one of those wrestling top 10 lists of either by WrestleMania or uh, like What Culture or Wrestle Talk, one of those people. And they allege that Eric Bischoff would have been in this movie, but he was already, you know, on leave by the time they were shooting this. So they witnessed the the screwjob finish, and it was like a, a quadruple splash, headbutt, elbow drop spot by four of the hated heels, people in there included, excuse me, like Bam Bam Bigelow, Diamond Dallas Page, I forget who else was in that mix, it might have been like Perry Saturn and Sid Vicious, because they were also in this movie, 
And they're like, you know, and on their way back home, they are expressing their rage and their sorrow that, you know, like, I'm not crying, you're crying kind of moment. And then they crash their septic truck, resulting in poo going everywhere. Shit happens. And after this event, you know, Gordy believes that the crash was fate and then that they should make King the champion once again. They go at a trailer park. They hunt him down. Uh, Gordy is being encouraged or demanded by his father, Richard Lineback, to pursue the family profession of the police academy. And because this didn't have the actual police academy, it wasn't a funny subplot. Uh, Gordy says, you know, he's not going to take a policeman test. He's frustrating his father. Uh, and then they go to an arena. They get they, they set up King to go to an arena, hide in a porta potty, and this is where they meet Rose McGowan, uh, a nitro girl named Sasha. Uh, I, I remember most of the nitro girls. Rose McGowan ain't one of them. So DDP is mocking King on camera. King comes out of the porta potty and beats him up, and then quote-unquote wins the WCW title or, you know, pins DDP, you know, I'm using air quotes in parentheses here, you know, in the same vein that, you know, the 24-7 championship would change hands. So, Sasha is, you know, impressed by Gordy's dedication and his friendship they go back to their apartment to seemingly have sex, but once she takes off her top, he's uh, like, you know, foreign objects! Oh, because wrestling fans are desperate virgins. Okay, I get it. I'm a 36-year-old virgin, and you know what? I don't care. So, they go to a gym, and they meet Bill Goldberg. This is where John Cena has a very brief blink and you'll miss it in the background doing like a bench press lateral something gym thing uh and you'll see him there when he was very new and very green in the business they go and hunt down goldberg and then they go to uh a trainer i think he was the king's trainer sal bandini played by none other than martin landau now that was a a surprisingly funny cameo i mean the guy's got great facials he played like uh, he played a great accent he was like that that old school like wrestler trainer from back in the day kind of like like a Stu hart or a luthez or like a or a gotch or a hackenschmidt like those kind of people so he is hired by he is hired to be their trainer but is hospitalized when sid vicious and perry saturn come in as two Bumbling home alone thieves in the night to beat him to beat him up, uh, but also Sal manages to do a number on them, and then they go back to WCW. They get Jimmy King a job. Uh, they do the triple tier cage match. Uh, DDP and his goons start start taking them down, and then you get the babyface brigade of Goldberg, Booker T, Billy Kidman, Disco Inferno. And then Sting, uh, then Sting makes an appearance finally to to help them, 
And doot, 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 that is, yeah, that's the movie. And I, I believe, yeah, David Arquette and Scott Kahn get involved in the cage match as, you know, Gordy Boggs, a.k.a. The Law. Not to be confused with live audio wrestling. Shout out to Dan the, Dan the Mouth Loransky and Scott Kahn with his Sean Sugar Daddy Dawkins. They get involved in this. And yeah, this movie, uh, you know, when I was 16, I enjoyed it because, you know, I've been a wrestling fan since I think about 94, 96 in that, in that area. And it was fine. I mean, I knew wrestling was choreographed back then. I didn't know like the, the politics and the ins and outs of it until it didn't even clue into me when I watched this movie that we were kind of witnessing kayfabe. I mean, it wasn't until, well, I think, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm bumbling here, but Beyond the Mat, which was just before this, I think the previous month in, in the Tony Bell Salute, check the archives, um, that revealed to me the real side of pro wrestling. And then as I got on message boards in the coming years, I, you know, I got more and more invested in the business aspect of it and and everything else. And here I am now podcasting about it some some 20 years later. Uh, fascinating how things work. Another movie we have here is 28 Days, not to be confused with 28 Days Later, which given the current climate of the world, it would be mildly appropriate. But this is an American comedy drama film starring, <clears throat> uh, I'm sorry, starring Sandra Bullock, Viggo Mortensen, Dominic West, Diane Ladd, Elizabeth Perkins, and Steve Buscemi. So, Gwen Cummings, you know, Sandra Bullock's character, spends her nights in a drunken haze with her boyfriend Jasper, Dominic West. She ruins her sister, Elizabeth Perkins, Lily's wedding, coming up disheveled. Delivering a drunkling, a drunken, rambling speech and knocking over the wedding cake. Intoxicated, she steals a limousine, tries to locate a cake store, lose control of the car, and crashes into a house. And she is given a choice between jail time or 28 days in rehab, and she chooses the latter. And then she is introduced to a wacky variety of patients in her treatment. Oliver, Michael Malley, a hypersexual cocaine addict. Daniel, Rennie Santoni. And Rashonda, uh, Marianne Jean-Baptiste are both alcoholics. Bobby Jean, Diane Ladd, is an older addict. Gerdhart, Alan Tudyuk, is a gay man whose addiction is not specified. And Cornell, played by Steve Buscemi, who is the rehab facilities director and a recovered former drug addict and alcoholic himself. And she is a and her roommate is Andrea Azura Sky, who is a heroin addict who sporadically self-harms and is a fan of the fictitious soap opera Santa Cruz. Now this is a movie I probably watched way back in the day. Uh you know, I didn't care for Sandra Bullock back then because she was in a lot of uh, chick flicks and romantic comedies, which 
to this day I still don't care for. Uh, if I had a significant other, I would say exactly the same thing. I would leave the room. <laughs> totally. So, there's a bunch of, you know, drink, uh, uh, oh, they're in rehab, but then they're going to relapse. And then, you know, Gwen experiences withdrawal symptoms. And she shuns all these meetings and activities. And she's pushing people away. <coughs> and she... Attempts to climb out her window to retrieve the discarded meds. Sprains her ankle. Viggo Mortensen comes to the rescue. And then you get, oh yeah, she's going to be in rehab. She is fine. And, well, then there you go. Yeah, I would probably revisit this, to be honest with you. I could probably get get a hang on this movie. I'd like it. And one movie I really liked back in the day. I don't know why. Well, I do know why. Excuse me. And that is The Big Kahuna. Now, this is just a, a business comedy drama movie directed by John Swanback, produced by Kevin Sp Oh. Yeah, we're talking about Kevin Spacey. So, yeah, we know what he did. Deplorable. Awful, terrible. Was it Kevin Spacey? I I can't remember who's who's done what in Hollywood now. It, it all sucks. Uh, so what we have here is Larry Mann, Kevin Spacey, and Phil Cooper, Danny DeVito. These are both men who are marketing reps working for an industrial lubricants company. They are joined in their hospitality suite by Bob Walker, Peter Fascinelli. A young man from the company's research department. And then, you know, Bob is an earnest young Baptist. And, you know, they have their relationship here. And there's a, there's a, a dial, there's a, there's a, a thing of dialogue here that really, really stood out to me for, for a really, really long time. And I'm just going to read some of it here. And it's uh, and if you want to look it up for yourself, it is the Big Kahuna Honest Man Dialogue. And it's something that I discovered in Bible college. Now, you know, I have a Bachelor of Theology in Youth Ministry, and our Youth Ministry Director uh, showed us this in class when we discussed it. And I... I kind of came out of it changed a little bit because I, I used to be really preachy, really judgmental and pretty far to the right. And although now I'm, I'm chill. I, you, and I'm, and I'm like, you want to know what I think about insert political religious thing here? Just come have a beer with me and I'll let you know. I'm not going to condemn people for this and that. I'm not going to judge people. You know, judge not lest ye be judged. So, we have here, it's uh, the man that just left this room, and this is Phil Cooper, Danny DeVito talking, it's like, the man who left this room a moment ago is a very good friend of mine. I've known him for a long, is it because I've known him for a long time? Well, there's a lot of people I've known for quite a while, and I wouldn't let some of them wipe my dog's ass. Others I could take or leave. 
they don't matter to me, but Larry matters very much to me. The reason being, I can trust him. It's because he's honest. And Bob, uh, Peter Fastinelli, asks, you know, is he honest or just blunt? He's honest, Bob, but he's blunt as well. That's sometimes part of being honest. There's a lot of people who are blunt but not honest. Larry is not one of these. He's an honest man. You too are honest man, Bob. I believe that. That somewhere deep inside of you is something that strives to be honest. The question you have to ask yourself is, has that touched the whole of my life? That means that you preaching Jesus is no different than Larry or anybody else preaching lubricants. It doesn't matter that you're selling Jesus or Buddha or civil rights or how to make money in real estate with no money down. That doesn't make you a human being. It makes you a marketing rep. If you want to talk to somebody honestly as a human being, ask him about his kids. Find out what his dreams are just to find out for no other reason. Because as soon as you lay your hands on a conversation to steer it, it's not a conversation anymore. It's a pitch. And you're not a human being. You're a marketing rep. And, you know, I won't read the rest of the dialogue here because it'll just take up too much time. But that really spoke to me about how, how I talk to people. Not just about Jesus, but about being intentional with my relationships. Like, not having in mind, like, oh, hey, look, I'm going to go talk to this person about Jesus so I can save them. Well, A, I don't do the saving. That's Christ that did all of it on the cross. I mean, we just had Easter, uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ covering the sins of all of humanity. And given, you know, how whole the world is, that is a lot of humanity. Now, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get religious here, but that whole quote, that whole dialogue kind of changed the way how I approached talking to people. And now I'm like, and, and now it's like, Jesus hardly ever comes up in my conversations It's because I, I know my friends and I know some of them aren't religious and I won't bring it up. And also, when you, when you as a Christian have in mind to like steer the conversation towards Jesus, like you are a marketing rep. And that's not what Christ calls us to do. He calls us to to love one another and help out the desolate and the poor and those and the sick and those who need it and not be greedy like that that dialogue just completely like like shook me and I, I'll, I'll watch it like I watched it again the other day and it still hit home hit home the same way so big kahuna is another big recommend Next one here we have is American Psycho, a satirical psychological horror film uh, based on the 1991 novel. It stars Christian Bale, Willem Dafoe, Jared Leto, Josh Lucas, Chloe Sevigny, Samantha Manthus, Cara Seymour, Justin Thoreau, Guinevere Turner, and Reese Witherspoon. Uh, this is just, you know, the uh, Patrick Bateman. He's a... Uh, it's a serial killer kind of movie, but in a way, it's it's satirical and messed up. This is one of the first things that people remember seeing Christian Bale in. 
Of course, he would become uh, Batman for a spell. Uh, one of the best Batmans, in my opinion. Uh, I probably watched this movie way back in the day. I can't remember a thing about it, but I was listening to uh, 302010 last night from the Laser Time Network, and Diana Goodman, uh, Sarah, and Chris Antista, they were talking about this thing about when people say that um, that American Psycho is their favorite film, that's your go-ahead to tune out and run away. Much like, you know, kind of like how Fight Club was the go-to man movie because uh, something, something, empowerment, something, something. Yeah, American Psycho was kind of along the same lines for some people. And it's... Yeah, it, it was just a weird... It's a, it's a weird movie that had a cult following. And and you had all these... Yeah, just killing and whatever. It, it I'll, I'll have to revisit it, maybe. But what I will never revisit again is Flintstone's Viva Rock Vegas. Now, of course, this was a prequel to the 1994 movie with John Goodman, Rosie O'Donnell, and, uh, oh, why can't I think of the guy that played, uh, Dark Helmet and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? Yeah, his name's, his name's gonna come to me, and, uh, Rick Moranis, yeah, it, it, it was those people. It didn't have any of them. So instead, we had Mark Addy as, as Fred, Stephen Baldwin as Barney, then we had, Joan Collins was in this, oh my gosh. So, yeah, these are young bachelors and best friends, Fred Flintstones and Barney Rubble. They had recently been qualified as crane operators at Slayton Company. Uh, now they want to go on dates, and in comes the Great Gazoo to help them out. Oh, boy. Here we go. Yeah. Mel Blanc, using archive voice footage, plays Puppy Dino. Uh, William Hanna and Joseph Barbera make uh, cameo appearances. A very young Kristen Stewart plays a ring-toss girl. Rosie O'Donnell plays the voice of the octopus, giving Wilma and Betty massages, which is kind of ironic because Rosie O'Donnell played Betty in the first film. Yeah, this is before all of them got married. This might have been where they either got married or, or they propose. It's been a long, long time since I've seen this. I might not have even actually seen it. I might have just browsed around and caught it on TV. Not long after this, in 2000, I was dating a girl who had young siblings. So while they were out, her parents were out shopping and we would be stuck looking after them. Uh, they would probably slap on a movie like that to keep them entertained. And this was just terrible. In music... In April 2000, we had Papa Roach's debut album, Infest, which of course had, you know, Broken Home, Last Resort, and Infest. We had Pink, Can't Take Me Home, Cypress Hill, Skull and Bones, which had Rock Superstar, which ironically would be remixed into a theme for Taz later in the year. Uh, Creed's single, with arms wide open. That one's for you, Ant. Uh, was out around this time as well. And Trans-Siberian Orchestra's first non-Christmas album, 
Beethoven's Last Night, which was uh, kind of like a rock opera about uh, about Beethoven. It is gorgeous, beautiful, just amazing stuff here. You know, and you know it was funny in thirty twenty ten when they talked about it. Antista was like, "If I can't set my Christmas lights to it, what's the point?" But this is damn good. Trans Siberian Orchestra is phenomenal. Any any time of the year here. So we had in video games. This is going to have a full circle moment. Nate, take a shot. Star Wars Episode One Pod Racer comes out for the N64, and now twenty years later on the Switch, we are awaiting a remake of it. Which, eh, I'd play it. If there was a demo for it, I'd download it and play it. I probably wouldn't pay full price for it. This was a game I would rent at the corner store once in a while. It was fun, but you know that 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 was it. Uh, next off, we had well, this is a game I'm going to talk about in depth when it comes out in America in I think it's like October, November, and that is the Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. It is released in Japan, and this game is wow. You know what? It as I said, I'm going to get more in depth with it later on in the year. Excite Bike 64 comes out, and you know the first three Excite Bikes were okay but this one yeah i can't use that joke for every game that ends in this the number 64 yeah so this is just a return to form like we haven't seen excite bikes since the nes launch title i had this game actually i had excite bike and excite bike 64 at the same time and i liked how you could unlock the original excite bike in 64 and this is just your your motorcycle racing game with hills and jumps and a course maker and stunts this was this was fun i i loved this game back in the day and wild arms 2 for the playstation kind of like a third person shooter kind of deal here and in the simpsons we have days of wine and dozes this was uh marge and homer go to a vineyard and they get hammered and kill the gator and run where Homer has a mental breakdown, and they decide to go take a break, go down to Florida. But, oh crap, they went during spring break. And much like the people who went to Florida last month, despite the beaches and bars being closed and the COVID-19, Homer, no, he didn't get sick. He got... No, no, he didn't get sick. He got hammered the whole time. And then they run into a alligator on the uh, the Everglades. They hit an alligator, and it's the beloved town mascot, Captain Jack. Like, you killed Captain Jack. You in a heap of trouble, son. Uh, then they have a whole deal, and oh, Captain Jack's alive. And this was this was around the time people were starting to tune out of The Simpsons. I still was. Uh, by the time I tuned out, it was something to do with Marge and the manatees and uh, Sp uh not Sp no Spider Pig was amazing. Um, Pie Man that was that was when I was starting to tune right out. Now Futurama and Family Guy, I completely pooped on the uh, messed up on that. I gave you April's Family Guy and Futurama in March. 
So I will give you marches this month. So we had Brian in love and love thy trophy. Uh, Brian, you know, is uh, wetting the carpet and peeing all over the place because he is in love with Lois. And he's having some psychological therapy as a result of it. And he blames it on Stewie because naturally he's a baby, blah, blah, blah. And then they, you know, they have a conference, they have a talk about it and they're all cool, which is all fine and good until Brian makes a move on Lois in a 20, 2006 episode. And love for that trophy, the Spooner Street enters a, a float contest uh, for like some kind of day and then I don't know if it's Thanksgiving or whatever float kind of day. So they day, they have a theme, and the float for this, the the theme for this particular parade is that episode of Who's the Boss where Tony sees Angela naked in the shower, and they reenact it with a giant float, and they have, they win. So. Of course, that has the whole deal with, oh, I'll have the trophy at my house on this day at this time. And duh, duh, yeah, you know what's going to happen. Uh, jealousy. And then Brian steals it and buries it as a result of their jealousy to kind of teach them a lesson. And in Futurama, we have a bicyclops built for two where Leela the Cyclops desires to have two eyes and live as a normal person. Be friends and falls in love with this sweet-talking doctor, kind of like your George Clooney, like ER type. And she has two eyes. One of them's kind of fake and literally drawn on with a Sharpie. But she has two eyes, and she looks like an actual girl now. And then, of course, you know, stuff happens. I forget what. Raging Bender. Now, this one. This one is a personal favorite of mine. So Bender is watching a movie at the theater. He is being a colossal asshole. You know, the kicking the seat in front of you, smoking a cigar, laughing out loud, spitting his drink. And the person who sat in front of him was beloved ultimate robot fighting champion, the masked unit. And Bender cowers away from him, uh, knocks him out. And then a promoter sees him and says like, hey, do you want to be in the... Ultimate Robot Fighting League? Okay. So Bender becomes uh, Bender the Offender, who is just, you know, I'm an I just an ex-con trying to go straight and get my kids back. So he's just being this this everyman gimmick, kind of like a stone cold. He he chugs a keg, crushes it on his head, and then he rises up the ranks of the Ultimate Robot Fighting League. And what the one line from Fry is like, you know, I thought that Ultimate Robot Fighting League was real like pro wrestling but it turns out it's fake like boxing they might have gotten that mixed up there about phil so and then the promoter decides to change his gimmick and he becomes okay this is going to be offensive so bear with me folks i'm sorry the gender bender where bender is dressed up as a little girl in a pink tutu and he then goes up against uh, Destructor, who is this giant robot with spikes and all that. And it's like, you know, you loved Bender. 
And now get ready to hate him as the gender bender as he goes up against Destructor. And then it just shows him, you know, on the phone, legs wiggling. I am a real toughie. Then, you know, I will destroy you. Click. And stop calling me. Click. And then, you know, stuff happens with the rest of the Robot Fighting League. Bender decides to stop doing it after he beats Destruct after a Destructor pounds the living crap out of him. And we go from there. So that is... Is that it? Uh, yep. Yeah, that is everything from the pop culture side of things. And uh, that's it for the 20 Bow Salute this month. As I said, I decided to switch things up. And we'll end with pop culture. So thank you very much, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you again to Tommy Dreamer for that awesome intro. Be sure to give me a follow at the legendary JF. Give him a follow at real Tommy Dreamer. And I will see you next time. Oops, I stand corrected. Tommy Dreamer is at the Tommy Dreamer in all caps. Give him a follow on Twitter. Thanks again.